This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Sydney with an intimate crowd who have exercised appropriate social distancing and sanitation. Today's big question, can you sing when life is hard? Today we're asking this question to Ben Pakula. Ben is Assistant Minister at Harrington Park Anglican Church in southwestern Sydney. He enjoys progressive metal music and coffee and has written several music albums, including his latest album, Songs in Hard Places. And he joins me now. Please welcome Ben Pakula. G'day, Rob. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me today, so, mate. So, Ben, welcome to Bigger Questions. Now, Ben, you love progressive metal music. So what's the difference between progressive metal and Heavy metal music. Uh, yep, uh, heavy metal is kind of notorious for having loads of subgenres, and one of them is uh, progressive metal, except no one calls it that. We call it prog. And uh, the, uh, everyone sort of argues about what's the best definition or best way of uh, explaining it, but uh, here's, here's the Ben Pakula version. Sure, right? okay. Heavy metal says, how much energy can we get into music in terms of the, the, the tone colour, the timbre, uh, the, the vocal, uh, the, the lyrical content? Progressive metal says, how extreme can we make a whole bunch of other elements, especially the musicology elements? Like, how, how extreme can we push time signature? tempo change, weird harmony, and yet still make something kind of coherent as, as a piece of music, and with the energy, that's why it's prog metal. So it's kind of sophisticated heavy metal then. Yeah, is the, uh, the, the, the quick and easy way of saying is it's metal for, for nerds. Okay, right. And are you a metal nerd then? Oh yes, unashamedly so. Yeah, what stimulated your love for music then? Oh, well, a couple of things. First of all, I think um, I had the blessing of being born with a good ear. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents forced me into doing violin lessons. I called it the violin. And uh, <laughs> I uh, was lazy and didn't want to read much. And I could manipulate my teacher into just playing a little line. And then I could mimic what he did, not because of the notes on the page, but because I could hear it, right? So I had a good ear, right? right. And uh, my childhood was uh, in many ways less than ideal. And one time at primary school, uh, I was dinging on one of those little glockenspiels and some other kid told me to be quiet. Now, that's the radio-friendly version of what the kid actually said. <laughs> sure. Uh, you can imagine it was much. But the teacher, it was just this one tiny little moment, the teacher just said, no, it's nice what he's doing. And suddenly I had this, you know, really unconfident kid I was. I had this this notion I could do something all right. And, you know, and it just happened to be that I was dinging on the glockenspiels. Right, right. Like, so you became a drummer. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> I actually became a drummer. So that we, and that, that was, that your love of music was stimulated from school dinging a glockenspiel. Uh, yeah, yeah, crazy as it sounds, that was it. <laughs> uh, it also helped that um, when I was 13, I came into some money uh, because I'm Jewish and I had a bar mitzvah and the Jews don't give you presents, they give you money. And uh, I was quite rebellious and there was a drum kit out the window of the little music school that I was going to once a week. So that obviously also uh, contributed. Right, so you got the drum kit and then drove the neighbours mad. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I really did. <laughs> they, they used to ring up and I would open all the windows and play louder. Right. Yes. Well, thanks for sharing your story there, Ben. When we kick off Bigger Questions, we'd like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. And today we're asking Ben Pakula about singing when life is hard. So, Ben, I thought I'd test you on how much you know about songs, about pain, sadness and suffering. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Yep. Okay, question one. The Eurovision Song Competition is not renowned for songs about suffering. It's <laughs> no. more often associated with up-tempo songs with sequins and glitter. 
But according to a special BBC report, in more recent years, the number of sadder songs in the competition has increased. So according to this research, which country in Europe has the saddest songs? Okay, is it A, Azerbaijan, B, Andorra, C, the United Kingdom, or D, Sweden? Oh, I'm gonna go D, Sweden. It's not. Oh. I'm sorry, I'm, I appreciate you. It was actually, they were tend tended to be sad, but Azerbaijan actually oh, have Azerbaijan. the saddest songs. Um, but it's interesting though, because in more recent years, metal has featured more at Eurovision, yeah. um, notably in 2019 with Iceland's entry, Hate Lordy. Will Prevail. Was that by Lordy? Lordy, yes, yeah. Lordy, and Lordy won it in 2006. So do you think progressive metal has a future at Eurovision? Uh, it has a future, I don't know if it has a future at Eurovision though. <laughs> because so many strange things come out of there and happen, I'm certainly not going to discount that as a possibility. Sure. Okay, question two. <laughs> According to a special survey on Ranker.com, a website which claims to be the definitive ranking site based on the wisdom of millions of visitors, what is the best metal song about pain? Was it A, Here Comes the Pain by Slayer, B, Pain by Three Days Grace, C, Fade to Black by Metallica, or D, Hot Potato by The Wiggles? <laughs> you can make Hot Potato painful if you really want. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. But of those three, I mean, the biggest band by a very long shot would be Metallica, and so I'm going to just guess Fade to Black. Sorry if I'm wrong. Well, you're not. You're oh. right. Oh, That's okay. the answer. So, Ben, you've avoided pain for you passed. You got one of our two smaller <laughs> questions right. Big round of applause uh, for Ben. So, Ben, it seems that there are songs that people sing when life is hard yeah. and there is pain. Indeed, that Ranker survey says that metal music is one genre of music that seems to always accurately capture the feelings of loss, loneliness and isolation that can come when someone's hurting. So, do you, do you agree? Do you use metal music actually accurately capture feelings of pain and difficulty? Uh, I do agree, yes. Yeah? Uh, do you want to expand? Why so? Yeah. Um, Okay, so a lot of metal is just, you know, I'm going to say, it, a bunch of noise, right? There's, right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, a lot of it is, is kind of, um, uh, there's a great emphasis on the, the, the music and the technical sort of playing side. And people that are into it are, are, are often kind of deep thinkers. Yeah. And uh, I believe that uh, deep thinking uh, can, can sort of also mean... Uh, you have a greater sense of the futility of life. And, and you, you sort of see it. A lot, of, um, a lot of great thinkers also have a lot of great sadness. So. Well, and that's the themes of that Fade to Black song by Metallica. Yep. It, it seems to contemplate suicide. It talks about deathly loss, a feeling of being in hell, filled with emptiness. So is metal appropriate to capture those feelings? I assume so because it often does. So it, like, it's like the, the proof of the pudding's in the eating, so to speak. Yeah. There's heaps of that within metal and all its sub-genres, sub so yeah, I think it is. So, but why, why, that, why so? What, what, what's the, what, what prompts this deep thinking and this connection to heavy metal music? Well, I think because the music itself aims for extremity. Right. That therefore, the kinds of the extremes on the, 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 the various trajectories that emotions put us on find their best expression 
with music that is extreme. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I think you're so. going to go further in any one direction than you would in others. So does, does this explain some of the names, for example, of bands? Like they seem to be extreme. <laughs> like you've got names like Megadeth, Slayer. Uh, Black Sabbath, Morbid Angel, Five Finger Death Punch. Oh. I mean, that's a fascinating name for a band. But, but the, so, do you think that this captures then something of the dark side of humanity that maybe Eurovision, for example, might miss? Uh, yes, although I've got to tell you something like um, Megadeth aren't actually that heavy compared to a lot of. Like, so Megadeth are a thrash metal band, right. as are Slayer. They're part of what you call the big four, right? Megadeth, Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax. And any metalhead of any genre knows something about them. They're kind of like your staples right, in yeah, the middle. Yeah. Five Finger Death Punch, they're like the pop of metal, right? So they get ridiculed. They're like the nickelback of metal <laughs> sure, for people yeah. that are into stuff that's more extreme. Yeah. But. But they've got an aggressive name, though. Yeah, and. I don't know why. <laughs> what, what is a common phenomenon? Sometimes you get a really aggressive name and the band actually doesn't suit, right? Yeah. Sometimes you don't and they're full on. Like one of the most darkest, despairing sort of uh, bands, right, in terms of their content, is a band called Porcupine Tree. And they're right. kind of prog rock. Uh, and the singer-songwriter, a guy named Stephen Wilson, is a, you know, is a lovely guy. And you look at some of the lyrics for his songs, you're like, I've never seen anything so morbid and dark and full on as, yeah. as, as that. Uh, but yeah. so, so why the, the darkness, though? Because, well, where else do you see it expressed musically? Mm -hmm. Maybe because that's part of the human experience and we tend to express things in artistic forms and, uh, well, there's going to be some outlet for it and it happens that an extreme kind of music fits an extreme kind of emotion, so I guess that's why. And so this is a valid part of our human experience, you think, though? Uh, it's real, therefore it is valid, yes. Because mm. often people are angry and yep. aggressive in this sort of genre and this style. Uh, does that help with the anger? Uh, in terms of does it stimulate it or does it actually suppress it? Both. <laughs> I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I think some people think of when you've got distorted guitars, heavy bass, heavy drums, right, really extreme, fast stuff, uh, that it is intrinsically angry or intrinsically aggressive. I don't see it like that. I see it as intrinsically energetic, yeah. and it could be energetically angry, but it could be energetically something else. It could be energetically joyful. Right. It could be energetically reflective and thoughtful. So I don't think metal is intrinsically sort of about anger and aggression, but when it is, I think it's fitting and uh, you know how you, you hear people say when they get really angsty or sort of you know nervous or stressed or something sometimes we want to do something really physical they want to go for a run you know want to go to the gym or something like that uh, get the endorphins well I, I can't help but wonder if psychologically you got the you know you're sort of pent up in some way well you can have some kind of release and uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if uh, extreme music uh, does that for, for mm. the people that, that enjoy it. And this is a valid part of our human experience, so to speak, to try to, to it connects with that. Yeah, 100%. Um, now, my question has just come through from our text line from our live audience here. Uh, yeah. It says, if singing upbeat songs like zippity doo can make you feel happier, yeah. are people who listen to anguished music more likely to be depressed? Uh, yes, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because it probably provides validation for a part of your emotion that, that's kind of already there. Mm. I mean, mm. I think zippity doo doesn't make you happy if you're at a funeral, right? You'll think, oh, I don't know that that's appropriate. No. You, you mentioned before that you had a totally difficult childhood. Um, now, you love heavy metal. So was that what attracted you to heavy metal in the first place? No, what attracted me to heavy metal was drums. So I got into <laughs> drums when I was 13. 
And uh, this mate of mine at school, I remember the very moment, he had a, a Walkman, you know those things we used to have, uh, a Walkman? And uh, uh, he just put the two things in my ears, like the earbuds left and right, and it was this song called Davidian by a band called Machine Head on their, uh, their sort of first big album called Burn My Eyes. And uh, I can remember the moment very clearly. I heard really energetic drumming with uh, double bass drum stuff. And I just thought, I must learn how to do this. I don't know what it was. Like, that, that was so exciting. And uh, I, could, I could sense that it was like physically and technically difficult. And so it really drove me to, to, to want to do that. And I found that the really sort of like technical side of music was being expressed by these metal guys. And so like, well, that's what I want to get into. So and did you get into it? I yeah. did, yeah. I did. So was it more than just a, sort of a technical exercise though after a while? Maybe because I probably started to enjoy the, um, the, the validation of the darker side of things. I probably started to enjoy the energy there as well. Like, not just from, from a perspective of drums or guitar, but of its uh, lyrical content. To unpack that a bit more, what do you, what do you mean by you're enjoying the, the darker side of the music? I think because, especially if you're, if you're um, uh, at your sort of teenage years, right, and things haven't been as uh, ideal as, you, you, as they, they perhaps could have been, you've got some sort of sense of you know, validation. I'm not alone in this. There are other people that think this is worthy of expressing. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my all-time favourite albums is by a prog metal band called Evergrey, and it's called Hymns for the Broken. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm envious. They're not Christian at all, right? There is actually... And, uh, but I'm, I, I'm envious because I, I, I'd almost want to just write an album to fit that title. So did you feel broken as a teenager? Uh, yes, very much so. Yeah. What was your story? Oh, well... <laughs> Mum and dad divorced when I was five. Mum had a, a sort of serialised relationships with a number of, of guys. I was the oldest. I ended up kind of picking up the pieces of the inevitable emotional breakdown that would happen when those guys left. I was looking after my brother and sister. Uh, after my bar mitzvah, I went to live with my dad near Wollongong. That was all right as well, but uh, dad was kind of busy and I was kind of there by myself, and so there was a bit of a, a isolation, I guess. I, I lacked confidence greatly as a teenager probably because I was the, the oldest and couldn't understand what was going on all right, the time. Right, there's lots of factors of life uh, affecting you at this particular point. And yeah. did the music help you in this place at this point? Uh, yes, because uh, as is often the case, you find people who are like-minded and they become your friendship group. And mm -hmm. uh, there were some guys that were, as, uh, were into sort of uh, energetic music as much as I was and that yeah. became a bit of a... But was that enough for you though? Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> no? What do, you, what do you mean by that? If you want to make sense of yourself properly, you can only do it in reference to the one who made you, that is God. And I was, I was 19 when I became a, uh, someone who trusted in Jesus and therefore knew God. So what was the change for you? What made the change? It was basically, you know how you said you're going to interview my aunt, Aunt Jenny? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, well, her husband is my Uncle Martin. Uh, we're Jewish, and I was raised in a, a Jewish house. Martin had become a follower of Jesus, which was a bit on the nose, as you can imagine, for my Jewish family, and he'd kind of been a bit excommunicated. And by chance, when I was at the very point where I was questioning my atheism, I happened to bump into him. As a matter of fact, Jenny bumped into me. She uh, saw me when I was doing a music degree at Macquarie Uni, and... Uh, saw me working a shift at a Woolworths deli and said, come round to our house for a few minutes away. And Martin told me uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And two days later, uh, I was a follower of Jesus. Well, what attracted you to it, though? 
I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll just tell you how the experience went. Right? He he, he gave me a, a simple outline of the gospel. We we call it two ways to live. Yes, there is a God. I've lived my life independently of Him in self-sufficient rebellion. That's called sin. Uh, God is a holy God, and that warrants judgment. But God is so loving, He sent Jesus to take the judgment that I deserve. Uh, God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that he is actually legit, yeah. uh, the one that God's put in charge, and I had a choice. I remember when he got to that point that Jesus died to pay for sins, that I, uh, the, the feeling of, oh, that's the reason. I knew Jesus was this dead guy on the cross, right? As a yeah. Jew, you kind of see, you know, you know that never had it occurred to me that there was a reason behind that, that there was uh, a, a purpose and that it was a, a punishment-bearing death on behalf of rebellious people like myself I found that particularly attractive yeah I, I still beyond that I don't know why but and, and it had what I would call the ring of truth about it. it yeah it just it just made sense yeah the Christian message made sense to you at that point and so you you changed you I did yeah and did it impact your life in many ways like you wouldn't believe yeah in, in what ways I'm maybe maybe try us well <laughs> the uh fairly dysfunctional relationship I had with my girlfriend at the time had to end uh, which it did. The anti-Christian death metal band that I was playing drums for at the time uh, didn't seem appropriate anymore. <laughs> sure, okay. There was actually a crossover period where I was playing some gigs, right? And I was involved in the things that often accompany that particular, you know, kind of music. So, you know, a bit of, bit of drugs. And uh, I, was, I even played a gig and I remember thinking, no, this, this kind of has to drop off yeah. <laughs> after a while. Uh, I had to move out of the house I was in. I changed the, the uni I was going to and the degree I was going. I, I then realised that life was going to look very different. I didn't know how, but I knew it would. Was it better, though? Unimaginably so, yes. Uh, it's hard to explain for those who, who don't yet know Christ as Lord and Saviour, but it's kind of like when God reveals himself to you, which he does in the Lord Jesus... Uh, you see the world as it truly is and you see mm. yourself like you actually have God's world view and there's a, a huge comfort in that. It's like you can see exactly where you are in relation to everything else. Uh, it, it's very hard to... I, I couldn't have known this before I became a follower of Jesus so I recognise it. It's kind of hard to explain mm. uh, but I know the God and creator of me and of the universe and I'm in a right relationship with him and... It's like a, a big weight off the shoulders. Right, kind of makes, the life seems to make more sense now for you. Yeah. yeah. Now, there is a psalm in the Bible, which perhaps would be appropriate to be told in a, sort of, sung in a heavy metal style, perhaps. It's Psalm yeah. 89. Yep. And for, for the first 37 verses, it outlines the strength, goodness, and faithfulness of God. But then at verse 38, the psalm takes a surprising turn. Now, after outlining God's goodness and faithfulness, the psalmist suddenly seems to get very angry with God by saying... But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. That seems a pretty aggressive accusation to lay out. God, what do you, what do you make of this? Uh, it is. If those words were not in the Bible, we'd call them blasphemy. Uh, yeah. Ethan the Ezraite is the author and he, uh, at the beginning, talks about how God has been so faithful, first of all, in his own character, second of all, in establishing a king in the line of David to rule over his people Israel. Yeah. And so God's faithfulness is sort of shown in his, his covenant uh, in the line of David. But I, I suspect that the time that Ezra the, Ethan the Ezraite was writing that, uh, Israel were uh, conquered during the Babylonian exile. 
And so he directly accuses God of breaking faith. God, you have failed. So are you surprised that this is in the Bible? Uh, now, no. Uh, if before I was a Christian, I would have been surprised at that, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. You don't think that the Bible itself, God's own authorised testimony about him, includes someone saying, God, you've failed, you've broken faith, you know, lost the plot. So, so why doesn't it surprise you now so much then? Uh, well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, God is a big enough God that he can allow the expressions of the full gamut of human experience to be part of his word, which is a great comfort. Uh, second of all, because uh, what looks like a failing of God in the eyes of humanity uh, includes the death of Jesus, which is the very central part of God's mm. self-revelation. Uh, the cross is called foolish in uh, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians because from a worldly perspective you're worshipping some guy who got crucified as a common criminal. Mm. Uh, so I can understand that. Yes, God failed, inverted commas, failed. Yeah. When you see that from the, the worldly perspective. But of course, that was the, the unfathomable way which God was demonstrating his incredible love, his sovereign control, his power, his forgiveness, all in the person work of Jesus. So I love that about God. I love that that's in the, the scriptures. He allows that. He's, he's, that's part of his, yeah. his personality, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Death will not stop the plans of God from prevailing. Mm. Well, the psalmist goes on, um, Ethan goes on and gets frustrated by mm. God's apparent absence. And he asks some very big questions of life in verses 46 and 47, where he says, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life for what futility have you created all humanity? So would this make a good heavy metal song? It would be an awesome heavy metal <laughs> song. You know something? A lot of the Psalms, as part of the scripture, it tells you at the beginning, to the tune of so-and-so, right? And so there's sometimes a little, or it's a kind of a song. I think this one's a masculine, uh, if yeah. I remember correctly. But would it make, of course it would, and that will be very at home in a lot of metal genres, uh, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. So you'd say that the metal would almost be the, the appropriate genre for the emotion that he's being expressed. Oh, yes, because of how how profoundly intense it is. And in his case, probably uh, despairing and anguish and anger are all mixed in there, and, and, and that would be uh, quite fitting. But then despite all this frustration and difficulty this guy has said, at the very end of the psalm, he writes, Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Mm. So is the ending to this psalm significant? This is going to be a bit contentious. The book of Psalms, which we call the Psalter, is actually composed of five in smaller books, right? Mm -hmm. and there's every chance that the theologian or theologians who are part of ancient Israel who compiled the book of Psalms to bring it to us in its final biblical form had put that at the end. So there's every chance that Ethan the Ezraite had finished on bang, negative, that's it, full stop. And the person compiling it had then wrote, praise the Lord forever, amen and amen, to let mm. you know this is the end of that section. Now, in either case, whether that's true or not, that has no ultimate bearing on the fact that, that is, those words are there and they are right to be there. Mm. Because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God breathes out or inspires the scripture, not the writer or the compiler, but the mm -hmm. scripture itself. And I think it's thoroughly appropriate, and I'm not surprised that God... Uh, has given us the scripture as it stands because it can be thoroughly appropriate to feel the weight and the frustration of knowing a good and sovereign God yet being in a fallen world and wondering how his plan's going to come about 
and still know that he's good and sovereign and say amen and amen and, mm. and, and praise God. So I'm so glad that that's... So he can still sing even though life is hard. He can sing even though life is hard. He can sing a pretty angry song even mm. though life is hard. Is there hope in heavy metal music? The answer is yes. There is ultimate hope in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ for those that know him. And it so happens that a, a, a recognised subgenre of metal is Christian metal. And there are hopeful metal songs that talk about the person, the work of the Lord Jesus, mm. uh, and therefore they actually offer ultimate so it's hope. So it's the, the lyrics, not necessarily the genre itself. The lyrics, not the genre itself. Yeah. So we've just heard about Ethan the Ezraites and him singing when life is very hard. Yep. How about yourself? Has there been a time when life is hard for you? Uh, yes, uh, very much so. There's been many. Uh, a, a real tough one, which I won't give too much detail about because it's not fair to my uh, lovely wife, Stacey, but our marriage was really on the rocks around the end of 2009. Uh, there was both difficult things that happened to us and by us. I'll just uh, leave it at that. And, uh, yeah, it was really hard. And So could you sing in that period? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. We often have this silly idea that singing is only ever meant to be associated with joy. So I, I thought about the big question itself, can you sing when life's hard? I thought the answer is yes, but more importantly, for me as a Christian, I should. And uh, why, why so? Why so? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because Christians have congregational singing as part of the way that we strengthen and build up one another and let the Word of God teach and encourage us. And if you then think, well, what are the songs that the Bible has? A lot of them are in some ways quite damning. A lot of them are quite uh, depressive. Uh, a lot of them are, uh, focus on a lot of negative uh, aspects of uh, living in a fallen world. And uh, so when life is hard, can I sing yes? Should I sing as a Christian even more so yes? Yeah. Yeah. Because singing does express something of the full range of human experience, perhaps. Yeah. Amen. Now, there's a lot of discussion, anxiety and concern at the moment around coronavirus. Is this a time to sing? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, what, what would you sing? Uh, so songs about the sovereign control of God over all things uh, is one. Why uh, is that? Would that what, what, what would that help you with? Uh, to be reminded that because he's in control of all things and because all things work for the good of those who love him, that there need not be an ultimate fear on the part of the follower of Jesus mm. uh, and that the follower of Jesus is therefore freed up to love and serve others who may be in fear. So it's quite liberating. So the sovereign control of God over all things is a liberating thing mm. for, uh, for Christians. Uh, other things, well, it's good to be reminded that we are fleeting and finite and mortal uh, because we sometimes uh, think too highly of ourselves uh, in relation to a holy God. So, Ben, can you sing when life is hard? You certainly can, and as a Christian, you definitely should. <laughs> well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, can you sing when life is hard, from Psalm 89, verse 47. Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all humanity. But then verse 52, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen, amen and amen. And amen. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Ben Pakula.
Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.